0: I'm so glad that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoureth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her then be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman but all things are of God. Welcome to The Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our name, The Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Dr. Mitchell is speaking on headship in the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in The Unchanging Word today. He says, Headship is a matter of order and position, not of being superior or inferior. These verses also reveal the relationship of equality in the Godhead between God the Father and Christ Himself. Thank you for listening to The Unchanging Word Bible Study broadcast today. Your prayers to God on our behalf are clearly needed and greatly appreciated. Dr. Mitchell now continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, it is our joy and delight to be with you today, wherever you may be, in the study of the Word of God. As I have oftentimes said over this program, we have only one great yearning and desire, and that is to exalt the Savior, to see that men and women come to know him as their Savior and Lord, to know something of his marvelous love for men and women, that love which was manifested in sacrifice. My, how he must have loved men and women. For God sent his Son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. then the joy of building up, edifying the people of God, those who are Christians in the Word of God. And we're dealing with the book of Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. I think sometimes in our reading of the book of Corinthians, we forget the background of the church at Corinth. Remember that Corinth was a very, very wicked, immoral, corrupt city. To be called a Corinthian was a dirty word. And this church at Corinth, where God had moved in their lives and taken them out of idolatry and moral corruption, you name it, and they were transformed and they began fighting among themselves. So in these first few chapters, especially from uh, chapter eight on, where we've been dealing with this matter of order in the church, we come to chapter 11. And starting into chapter 11 and running right through chapter 14, we have order in the church. He's going to deal now with fellowship and the ministry of the Church of Christ. It's very important in this division to see that we're going to be dealing with with the ministry of the Word of God and His servants, ministering that Word in the assembly. Uh, as we've been saying from chapter 7 on chapter, through the end of chapter 10, especially even down to the first verse of chapter 11, where Paul says, Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He's been dealing with the liberty and privilege and that the believer has and the abuse of it. Privilege carries responsibility. And he's very, very personal about this but now he's going to talk about our relationship in the assembly itself and our ministry to it. For example, in chapter 11, we have woman's place in her ministry, followed by the instructions concerning order at the Lord's table. And then when we come to chapters 12, 13, and 14, we'll be taking up the gifts of the Spirit. For example, in chapter 12, we have the bestowal of the gifts. In chapter 13, we have the governing of the gifts by love. In chapter 14, we have the exercise of the gifts. When we come to chapter 15, we have that great chapter on on resurrection. In chapter uh, 16, the last chapter, he has a final word of exhortation. So you see what we have before us in the study of Corinthians. And let me again repeat it, between chapter 7 and 10, he's been dealing with with order in the assembly. You remember they had in chapter 5 and chapter 6. In chapter 5, we had the question of immorality in the church, and he dealt with that. And then in chapter 6, he dealt with the question of us going to law with each other and not recognizing the fact that we're one in Christ and that these very bodies of ours are the sanctuaries of God. Then from 7 through 10, he takes up again this matter of the ministry of the Spirit of God and the governing of our lives as God's people among each other with ourselves. I don't know how to put that, but the very fact that man has a place and woman has a place in the assembly. Now when we come to chapter 11, which we're taking up today, we come to a very strange passage of Scripture. I should say it's a a difficult passage of Scripture because one can't help think that as Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he was talking to a people who had come out of idolatry and corruption. You and I don't begin to appreciate the situation in which the Corinthian church found itself. Now let me read these first few verses of chapter 11, starting in at the second verse. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. You keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. When you come over later on in the passage, in verse 23, where Paul says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. He had given them certain uh, admonition concerning how they should conduct themselves in the church as the body of Christ, especially in the remembrance of the Lord and his death and resurrection and return. So he says this in verse 2, I'm so glad that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she was shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her then be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord." For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things are of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now, I'm, I'm of the persuasion that when Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church, they knew pretty well what he was talking about. So you have in these first few verses, 2 to 16, uh, the woman's place in prayer and in prophecy. And Paul goes back to creation And grace, the grace of God, has not changed woman's relationship to man. And we must abide in this relationship for blessing. Now, may I just say in passing, uh, he's talking here about a woman praying and prophesying. He's talking about the assembly. When we pray, we're praying for man. We're praying for somebody else. When we prophesy, We're we're taking God's word, God's message to man. In other words, when we pray, we represent man to God. When we prophesy, we represent God to man. And if a woman has been gifted along these lines, she's got a place of ministry in the assembly. Now, let's look at it for a few moments. Here you have, first of all, in verse 3, let's take up this question of headship. May I suggest that headship does not mean inferiority. Let's not get this idea in the head that the man is superior to the woman or that the woman is superior to man. This is not at all. He's talking about order in the assembly. And he banks it, or shall I say, he he, he says this because of what happened at creation, God's purpose for man and for woman. Let me read that verse 3. I would have you know, the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. Now notice the order. The headship of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. He's talking here about a question of position and, may I add, responsibility. And may I also add, oneness one with the other. Man and Christ, the man and the woman, Christ and God. Let me take, take for example, this question the head of Christ is God. Note the order. The head of Christ. God, does that mean that the Lord Jesus is inferior to his Father? He's not talking about that. He's talking about order. Our Savior came into the world in obedience to his Father. He recognizes as a man in the midst of men, for God sent his Son into the world for a purpose, And our Lord, all the way through his life, you remember, always acknowledged the place of his Father. For example, John 8, 29, I do always the things that please him. John chapter 4, verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Think of it now. I and my Father are one. How can you see my Father? Through me. The words I speak are not mine, they're my Father's. The works that I do are not mine, they're my Father's. Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me, or else believe me for my very work's sake." In other words, our Lord Jesus came in perfect submission, acknowledging the position of His Father, not not a place of inferiority. Now, I know you'll go along with me on that, uh, and the Father could say in Matthew 3 and Luke 3, you remember, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Or on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, when, I, when the voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. And yet the head of Christ was God. I repeat it, not a place of inferiority, but a oneness with his Father in doing the will of his Father, which was his great delight. I do always the things that please him. Now let's look at man. The head of the man is Christ. Verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. What is his head? Christ. If a man prophesies, prays with his head covered, he's dishonoring Christ. I we you to get what he says in verse 3, the head of every man is Christ. It's not God's order for a man to pray with his head covered. In fact, he goes on to say it's a shame for a man even to have long hair. There are those who say that our Lord had long hair. No, he didn't. The Romans didn't have long hair, the Jews didn't have long hair, they had beards, tis true, but not long hair. You look all the way down through, your Old Testament, man didn't have long hair. It's a shame to man to have long hair. That's what it says here. But now what about the woman? In verses four to 16, you have this question, the reason for the covering. Remember, this is in the assembly, and I'm again repeating the fact that woman has the right to pray and to prophesy, to plead with God for men. That's praying. To plead with men for God. That's prophesy. We can become God's messengers. And the woman acknowledges the place of the man. So I read um, that the woman, verse 7, the woman is the glory Of the man. You remember in Ephesians 5, I think I mentioned this the other day, take Ephesians 5 with a husband and a wife. And by the way, there's the possibility here in chapter 11, he's talking about married people. However, a single girl could be in that place of ministering whatever God has for her to do. But please notice the question of order. The man. Is the head of the woman. And I read in verse eight, in verse seven, indeed, man ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. The man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. For the glory of the man is the woman. Now, Not a place of inferiority. As I said in Ephesians chapter 5, the man is the head. That's a place of responsibility. The woman has the place of honor. And when the man loves his wife the way he loves himself, as Ephesians 5 says, he's willing to sacrifice for her. And when a woman has a man who is willing to sacrifice for her because he loves her, The woman will be very happy to take her place in submission to her husband. You see, you've got to, I repeat it, it's not a place of inferiority. The one is the complement of the other. Now it goes on to say in verses, in verse 8 and 9, the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Go now to verse 12, For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things are of God. In other words, each one has a place of responsibility with the question of order. He wants order in the assembly. It's an amazing thing. For example, it says in verse 10, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, because of the angels, she takes her place. The woman is of the man. And the man was made in the image and glory of God. And God made for the man a woman. I'm talking about God's order in creation, which Paul uses here to rectify something that has been happening in the Corinthian church. You remember Corinth, I said a while ago, was a city of immorality and corruption. The prostitutes in Corinth used to cut their hair. As they walked down the street, you always knew who they were. They cut their hair. And if the women became so bad, sometimes they would sh- shave their heads. It was a shame for a woman. The woman is of the man. And the man is also for the woman. Judge yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory for her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom. We will not allow anything in the church, in the assembly, to disturb That spirit of unity and privilege of breaking the order which God has given to us. Now, because of the angels, I confess to you, I don't know how to put that, except possibly when God made man and he created woman for man, the angels were spectators at creation. They were spectators of the way of God and the redemption, as you have it in chapter 4 of Corinthians. You remember and verse 9 where Paul speaks of the fact that they were set forth last a spectacle to angels, to men, and so on. How did the angels fall? As you have it in Second Peter chapter 2, 4th verse. If God spared not the angels that fell. Jude, verse 6. They got out of order. I'm wondering if that's in the connection here. Angels were out of order, and they were cast into, into chains of darkness reserved for judgment. They, they got out of the place where God had put them. When Satan fell, one-third of the heavens fell with them. They left the position, the place God had given to them. They got out of order, and the judgment of God fell upon them. And so we find here... The woman is necessary to make the man what he is. We do mark this. And I'm trying to insist upon you when you take verses 11 on down through, woman does not have a place of, of inferiority, but rather she has a place to supplement that which the man is. And woman has a place in the assembly. And Paul uses creation, as the basis for this. Same thing you have in First Timothy chapter 2, 9 to 13. And when you come down to chapter 14 of Corinthians, 33 to 35, God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. And again, I repeat, it's not a question of ministry or ability, but a question of order. The head of the man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. And what God wants for you and for me is to be in that place, in the assembly, where the Lord's going to be glorified. And when a woman realizes her particular place in the purpose and economy of God, the order of God, even for ministry, you're going to have the blessing of God. It's not one trying to push themselves in order to minister. No, no. It's a question of the Spirit of God using. If He uses the man, the man does it recognizing that Christ is his head. When the woman does it, having a gift from God, she does it recognizing the place she has to the man. God made the woman for man, and man is the head of the woman. I want you to want to close It's a difficult passage of scripture, I can't do that. But as we see the background at Corinth, I'm wondering if Paul hasn't that in mind, where order in the assembly is such that will bring honor and praise and glory to the Savior, which leads us, of course, to the next portion of the chapter where he gives to us teaching concerning the Lord's table. And may the Lord bless you today. Make his face to shine upon you for his precious name's sake. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look for in his wonderful face, and the things.